In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Hey everybody, welcome to The Counter. We're going to review week 14, uh, look ahead to the Monday night game, uh, preview where things stand with the playoffs. We'll do it all. It'll be fun. We'll, we'll get into Stephen Ruiz's take dumps. Uh, his he, he fires off some takes every Monday morning. Also, Charles McDonald has hit us with a couple of analysis pieces. He had one yesterday afternoon about the Chiefs, what we learned from... Uh, frankly a bizarre game that they won easily anyway which proved once again just how good the Chiefs are and then he came in this morning with uh, some analysis of what's going on in Pittsburgh so we're going to dig into all of that uh, look look at where the league is right now as we sort of round toward the end of the season I am Chris Gorman an editor with For the Win joined by Steven and Charles what's up guys I'm taking offense with uh the verb usage there. I don't fire off the takes. I dump them. Hence the name <laughs> of the series. Put some respect on the takes. That's on. true. That's true. Yeah. It's like when uh, you wake up on the Monday morning after a long <laughs> night of drinking and you know, it's the first thing that comes out of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's some hot takes. Yeah. <laughs> the, pro- uh, the, pro- the problem is that I know Steven is actually working at them working on them Sunday night, like well into the morning. So if he's drinking, he's also writing the text. <laughs> oh, I, I just assumed we were all drinking when we, when we work. Like I'm drinking right now. Are you not? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been perpetual state of drinking since like March. What else did you do? It's the only way to get through covering the giants and jets. <laughs> Plus the pandemic. And, and, pandemic. Dealing, and dealing with he who sh- shall not be, not named. be named. Who has been vanquished. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. So where, where do we want to kick this thing off? Uh, I, I want to hear how you're doing, Charles. What's going on with you, man? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, you know, getting settled in here. This is, uh, I guess, my second week after the win. First, what feels like official week. Uh, finished, like, all my training stuff. I'm about to be signed up for benefits. I mean, look, life is good. Uh, not like that. You're not, yeah, not going uh, to fall for any ransomware you learned all about. Yeah, all about uh, that stuff. The only bad thing is my, the only bad thing is uh, PS my my PS five has definitely been hijacked by FedEx. Like that did not work out for me in any way. <laughs> Dude, like I, I went up to uh, like we, I was calling around to the FedEx like lo- local facility, and there was something where like the driver because uh, I because I, I was gonna have it dropped off at like a third party location down the street from my parents' place where I am right now. I was just going to go grab it. And there was a whole situation where like, basically the driver scanned it off of his truck, but never scanned it into uh, the third party location. So uh-huh. what they're, 
But like what the lady told me on the phone, she was like, yeah, you might want to file a police report. I'm like, oh, God, like, like you're just telling me that it's gone. Like there's nothing you can do that. Like they couldn't find the driver. He basically like fallen off the face of the earth. So, you know, I, I hope you are enjoying your PS5 or honestly, I hope that it broke because now I have, to go, back, I have to go back into like the, the, the game of where I'm sitting up on my computer or my phone, letting these Twitter notifications come in from these random sites that I never follow. Where you know at three a.m. Oh, you know Best Buy drop has happened, but I was asleep and I missed it. So I'm back playing that game and it absolutely sucks. I know that game. I, I got lucky and I feel bad saying it because now I just feel like I'm gloating. But my PS5 came in on Friday and yeah, how but, great is know, it, Stephen? Is it just so much fun? Uh, yeah, it's lived up to the hype. Like I, on one hand, I don't want to make him feel too bad, but on the other hand, I want him to have something to look forward to. Like I will, I will say this: Madden is much more enjoyable on PS5 than, compared to PS4. I really enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, Best Buy is having a drop tomorrow morning, so uh, hopefully, I can get that. Like it, it's it, the, the way that I'm reading it is you are basically competing with people in your zip code for one. Like you have to buy it and then go pick it up from the store. So hopefully this stops the bots from sweeping them all up. But we shall see. You all want right. me to try to? Do you want me to try to get one from the uh, Timonium Towson uh, Best Buy? Yeah, we can to... talk about that off air. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even know how to do it, but I'm I'm game. Let's try it. Uh, all right, yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk your story, Charles. Let's talk. Uh, you. Everybody watched. Well, most people watched the Sunday night game last night. It was actually. Somewhat intriguing game, the Steelers and Bills. Uh, the, the Steelers end up losing their second game, 26-15. to 15. And I think the story that most people came away talking about was Ben Roethlisberger looking like the Ben Roethlisberger that Steven and I have been talking about all year, <laughs> which is a guy that really cannot throw the ball around the field and is holding the Steelers back. So, Charles, you took a look at this this morning and, and sort of extrapolated. What, what does this mean for the Steelers going forward it's clear he's holding them back now but how long is that going to last because it's just as clear that the Steelers have an elite defense and they should have a championship window right now but uh how how that actually plays out is a question that revolves around Roethlisberger so what did you find yeah I mean they're basically it's like a good news and bad news thing like they are stuck with this a little bit but they're only stuck with this for one more year like they've gotten through the hard part of this uh because this year was the big uh the big year in terms of money for him. And, and next year, uh, you know, it, it, I guess like in a normal cap year, you could you could feasibly cut Ben Roethlisberger and kind of keep this thing moving. But they're like the rest of the NFL kind of stuck with the impact of coronavirus and the renegotiated CBA that happened in August, where the cap is only set at $175 million next year. Like, uh, you know, a, a quarter of the league, they are also over the cap. I think they're over the cap by about, you know, depending on where you look, at least $20 million. So if they cut Ben Roethlisberger, they're hit with uh, $22.3 like, million in terms of dead cap, but they also save $19 million. And that's really going to be how the money works out for no matter when you do it, whether it's a, a cut, trade, Post June first, pre June or pre June first, like it's going to be like that no matter when because next year is the last year in his deal. Uh, so you know, in, in normal circumstance, you could probably cut him and move on. But they, you know, when you're talking about three million dollars or you know minus three million dollars in cap savings, when you kind of do the math on the dead cap and the salary savings, like 
it's almost like a negligible move for them to 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 cut him or trade him because they still need a quarterback for next year and they don't quite have you know the money to go find another one and if they continue on this track of being one of the best teams in the nfl then they're going to be stuck sitting or drafting at the later portions of the first round so you know i, I think that what this says about them is that ben roethlisberger probably has one more year in the nfl next year based on just how he's looked this year where it's not the ben roethlisberger old where he's chucking it down the field it's like a dink and dunk kind of boring version of Ben where you can definitely see that the arm strength has been sapped a little bit by the elbow injury. So I think their best bet is to find a guy uh, willing to sit behind Ben Roethlisberger for a year. I remember, you know, when I was still covering the Jets, there were some rumblings that Pittsburgh would be interested in trading for Darnold uh, because, you know, that marriage is definitely over in New York. So maybe you get that. Maybe you get aggressive and trade up in the draft if Zach Wilson or Trey Lance starts falling. But uh, basically, they need to find a quarterback for 2022 in 2021. Stephen, I'm wondering, uh, do you think there are other options? There's a guy in New Orleans who's just sitting on the bench getting paid like a million dollars this season, and his contract will be up. Uh, I don't think we know what's going to happen with Cam Newton per se. I mean, I think we we are on record saying that he should stay in New Orleans or stay in New England and figure things out there, but that could dissolve. I mean, what would you do if you were driving the the Steelers franchise? I think you definitely have to take a chance on one of those veterans if if the price is right and maybe the price will be right with Jameis. I mean, he took a small deal in New Orleans. I don't know if the allure of playing for Randy Fickner is as big as the allure <laughs> for playing for Sean Payton, but well, not playing for Sean. Well, Payton. yeah, not playing. <laughs> well, he gets to be in the same room as, as Taysom Hill and Drew Brees, which I'm sure is a thrill for him, but yeah, I don't even know. Like some people might say, Oh, maybe you could trade Ben Roethlisberger and convince the other team to, to take on some of the, the cap hit, but like who's trading for Ben Roethlisberger right. in 2020. No, I don't think anyone is. Right. Or who's even like signing him? If he becomes a free agent, what I can't think of one team that where it makes sense for them to chase after him. Like oh, it's Philip Rivers, but even worse. <laughs> right. Like the only Phillip, team that it would make sense would be like the Steelers. Oh, we have a quarterback up now. we need a veteran quarterback. What's on Ben Roethlisberger? Uh that's like right. the only spot that would make sense for him. That'd be like how Matt and Madden, like they like bring back old features and present them as new features. They could be like, yeah, our new quarterback signing Ben Roethlisberger, <laughs> Benjamin Roethlisberger. He's, he's changing his, his look. Oh man. What would Benjamin Roethlisberger actually look like? He, yeah. how, how would you, how would you make him look classy? I don't think you can make Ben Roethlisberger look. Classy. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't even think that's possible. You know, <laughs> you know who could be duped into signing Ben Roethlisberger next year? John Elway. Like I could totally see that. Happen. Oh yeah. That's perfect. <laughs> Especially if Drew Locke like just delivers like three more stinkers to end the year, you know Ben Roethlisberger of the Broncos. Like if if you can, uh, not that we condone gambling on this, but if you can find you know a little a little spot to you know maybe make a friendly bet with a friend, uh, that'd be kind of funny uh, to see Ben Roethlisberger end up in Denver because that just totally seems like John Elway. Oh, tired of the rookie quarterback, the young guy who keeps throwing picks. Let's go get the veteran who can't throw the ball five yards down the field. Anymore. Who do you think would win a race right now, Ben Roethlisberger or John Elway? Uh, John, Elway. <laughs> John Elway, no doubt. Yeah, you could probably Elway throw it farther yeah. too. Oh. <laughs> Almost certainly. Yeah, but I mean, I think what what Sunday really shows is that uh, Ben Roethlisberger's tenure with the Steelers is coming to an end, and it might not be this year uh, unless he retires. Uh, but it will be 
probably after the 2021 season. And like a crappy thing for the Steelers, if if Ben does retire is, you know, functionally it gets treated like he's been cut. So, you know, like how, how Luke Keekly still comes against the Panthers cap this year, uh, it, it, will, it will kind of function in the same manner where you're eating the dead cap, but you get the, sa- the cap savings, but you still don't have the quarterback, uh, which would which would really suck because, you know, as disappointing as Ben Roethlisberger might be this year, we all know that he's leaks better than Doug Hodges and Mason Rudolph because last year's – while this right. offense is bad, last year's offense was just yes. a damn abomination. Do you know what I would like to see? Ben Roethlisberger in, on the Raiders. Ben Roethlisberger in Vegas. <laughs> that might be in like a national emergency. Oh yeah. <laughs> You're just looking for the off the Jameis put Jameis and Ben in Vegas. <laughs> Do a buddy show. We need a show with those two hanging out. <laughs> Stealing crap legs. Uh let's let's talk about uh, so the top uh, the lead to the take dump today was why the Rams are the best matchup for the Chiefs. But I want to start with the Chiefs uh, because Charles wrote about this yesterday, as I said, uh, in a story that we put a headline on. The Chiefs' imperfect win over the Dolphins showed why no one is stopping them. Uh, if you happen to be watching this Chiefs game or even Red Zone or just highlights, you know that like, 85 dumb things happened that should have completely doomed the Chiefs. Like Patrick Mahomes took uh, just a horrific sack that if any other, like if Daniel Jones took that, it would have been, we would have been making fun of it for three months. But since it was Patrick Mahomes, it's just like, yeah, he'll make it back up. And he did. Like he had no problem uh, figuring out a way to recover and look like his brilliant self the rest of the way. Uh, The Chiefs end up winning this 33 to 27. Uh, it never really felt that close, which is, again, a refrain that Stephen and I have been saying all season long, is that even these games where the Chiefs, even the games where they lost, it was like, eh, they might win this because, like, it just all these bad things are happening and they're still in it uh, because their their ability to, to come up with explosive plays and score quickly is just totally unparalleled. So other teams have to be perfect and they have to expect the Chiefs to make a bunch of unforced errors uh, to even be in this. So, Charles, what did you learn from from watching this, from observing the, the Chiefs-Dolphins game? Uh, anything new or this just sort of... Uh, so, sort of confirm your priors about this team. Well, look, I'm a, I'm going to give the NFL uh, some free game and a little public health tip too. If <laughs> if you want to just avoid the playoffs, you know, stop the community spread of people traveling. If you want to just nick, you know, cut the bud on the Super Bowl, we can just give the the Chiefs the, the trophy now. I mean. There's no way. I just don't see how they they don't make it to the Super Bowl and win like in convincing fashion. I mean, yeah, the, the Chiefs turned the ball over four times, and at the to- at the point of their fourth turnover, they were still up thirty to ten. Uh, and Patrick Mahomes, he threw three interceptions, two which weren't really his fault, and he still ended up throwing for eleven point six yards per attempt. Like, <laughs> like what do you what do you even do? Like this team, this team has. I don't I don't understand how you can beat them if they're going to play like bad sloppy a game and still win in rather convincing fashion. Like it took a fourth quarter, like little comeback for the Dolphins to even get uh, to get it within six points at the end of the game. I mean, I think one of the funny things was like if you go back and you look at Ben Baldwin's uh, stats and he has like the EPA numbers for each play, like if you add up the expected like 
the expected points lost from their four turnovers, it ended up being like like twenty point five points, I think. And like they had, they had still scored thirty points by the time they hit that fourth turnover. It's like like what, what do you even do? Like this team. This team could have scored like 50 points yesterday against one of the best defenses in the league, like a defense that has the personnel to slow down the team like the Chiefs when you just look at how much they've invested in the cornerback and their secondary in general. Like if they're just going to shred the Dolphins like this and you don't even have a chance while the Chiefs are just shooting themselves in the foot, like you already talked about that Patrick Mahomes took a 30-yard sack yesterday – and it just doesn't matter. It, it's just it, – it, it's it's crazy that a team can just play like this because any other team in the league, literally any other team, if you give them the same spots where they're turning, turning the ball over as the Chiefs are, you know, on the opponent's side of the field, uh, throwing the ball into the end zone for, for an interception, I mean, they're going to lose that game. But it, it doesn't matter for them. They can just keep – Coming back and coming back, you know, you get a 32-yard touchdown rough touch from uh, Tyreek Hill. You had five receivers uh, get a catch of at least 20 yards uh, versus the Dolphins. I mean, this offense is just completely overwhelming. They're unstoppable, and and we've already seen it, like, in the playoffs last year. Even if they get down, they can come back and they can score, like, four touchdowns in the quarter, and no one is surprised. I mean, this right. team, this team is going to win the Super Bowl, and if I'm wrong, then look, I took the easy take. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the funny, this, the funny thing is that all the every game where we come out of it thinking, oh, this might be the blueprint for beating the Chiefs, like they've won all of those games. Like they beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl. They beat the Chargers earlier this year when they were pressuring Mahomes like crazy. They beat the Broncos a couple weeks ago when the Broncos did a decent job at slowing them down. And like there was blueprint talk early in this game and they just blew the doors off the Dolphins off that. And another funny thing is like when we were kicking around the idea for that post, it was like 10 nothing Dolphins and we had like we were so confident that the post was going to work out that they were going to come back and win that right. like we weren't even hesitant to start writing it. Right. I mean, we've definitely crossed the threshold where we are not appreciating the Chiefs enough. Like you, I think you tweeted it yesterday, Stephen. Like I just saw Patrick Mahomes make an absolutely insane throw, and I didn't think anything of it. And like that, he does it all the time. And the Chiefs do things that are just laughable for other like to think like. Another team might do that, and they're just doing it. And we're like, well, that's that's the Chiefs. That's just who they are, uh, you know. So, I, and and with that comes all this nitpicking. You know, as soon as they're down a little bit in a game that is still clearly within reach, there were just tweet after tweet after tweet like, "See, I told you the Chiefs are vulnerable. See, they can't do that." And like, none of that yeah. over the course of the season has bared out. Yeah, my favorite tweets were the ones that said the Dolphins gave you a blueprint. I'm like, what blueprint? Uh, <laughs> right. Two of the picks were just, like drop passes that hit the guys in the hands. I mean, I right. guess if you like, if you're bringing a magic eight ball, maybe that's your strategy, and just pray that you can get some lucky turnovers like the Dolphins did. And even then, like it doesn't matter. So, right, uh, like I said, if, if the NFL wants to prevent further coronavirus spread, we can just end this now and get. <laughs> I'm fine with it. Right, I don't think anyone would <laughs> have a, a serious problem with that. Uh, the uh, the TV networks would actually. Oh yeah, but so who cares yeah, about that? <laughs> uh, yeah, the blueprint the Raiders used was to get the Chiefs to have like 12 penalties or whatever it was. So uh, there is no blueprint. Steven, you did at, at least look at this and think after the Rams uh, pretty pretty easily handled the Patriots. You were you were watching that and thought, 
that maybe that team could match up with the Chiefs. Now, there's no clear path for the Rams to get back to the Super Bowl uh, because they have to get through the rest of the <laughs> NFC and they don't match up well with those teams. But what makes you like what you see from the Rams and, and the matchup, the specific matchups that would make the Chiefs more vulnerable? Yeah, I actually like the matchup on both sides of the ball because one thing the Chiefs can't do on defense is stop to run. And we know if the Rams offense is running the ball, staying on schedule, avoiding obvious passing situations for Jared Goff, he looks like a totally different quarterback. And that looks like a totally different off, totally different offense right. that could keep up got, with the Chiefs. Right. And they they, they unveiled the uh, Cam Akers offense. They were just they were just holding him in reserve. So he'd be right. fresh for the end of the season. <laughs> and then on defense. Like, nobody is going to stop the Chiefs, but it's like slowing down the Chiefs. And the way you do that, I think, is one, being able to defend the run game with as few numbers as possible in the box. And like, that's like been the Rams thing this year. Their defense has just been able to defend the run with light boxes. And that's allowed them to take away deep shots at like a ridiculous rate. They're in their own league when it comes to defending the deep ball. I think it's minus 17.7 EPA. The next team is like minus nine. So, if they can take away deep shots for most of the game against the Chiefs and defend the run and the RPO stuff that they do, I think if they score enough points, they can at least keep up with the Chiefs, and it might look like a game similar to the one we saw on Monday Monday night two years ago. What do you think, Charles? Uh, I mean, do you, do you think the Rams would actually have any shot against the Chiefs? Yeah, I think they're the, the team that can slow them down just because – like it, 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 I mean, not it's not like the Cardinals' offense last that we were talking about last week, but you know, you, you can put Ramsey on, uh, on really any one of those guys, and hopefully, you'd be able to shut that down. Because I think what what makes Ramsey special is you know there isn't one type of receiver that like gives him fits. Like you used to think when Richard Sherman was at the peak of his powers with the Legion of Boom, and you know you put one of the smaller shifty guys on him. And that would cause him a lot of troubles. But Ramsey's so athletic that even though he's a bigger corner, he can hang with those guys. So, uh, like you, you can you can put him on Tyreek Hill and have that be a feasible plan for you. You can get pressure up the middle with Aaron Donald. Now, the only like the only thing that gives me, uh, I guess, a little bit concerned in terms of the Rams' defense face, facing the Chiefs' offense is like, are we are we concerned about like their linebackers' abilities to match up against guys? Oh like, uh, yes, for sure. And <laughs> if 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 Andy Reid remembers that Clyde Edwards Hilaire exists, like that could be a problem uh, for the Rams too. But you know, of any team in the league that that can really give the Chiefs' offense fits, I think the Rams probably have the best bet because. You know, they, they don't need to blitz you a whole lot to get pressure because, like, Aaron Donald really is that good. It's kind of funny. Like, you you, you just kind of look at these guys who end up playing next to Aaron Donald. You're like, wow, this guy could be a breakout star. Dante Fowler last year, this right. year Leonard Floyd's having a career year, and that just kind of goes to show you, like, he's special enough that he can generate, like, an entire team's worth of pass rush by himself. Uh, and then, you know, you had Ramsey on the back end. They got some other uh, defense backs playing well. Like, this is – the team that has the best chance. Now, I don't know how convinced I am that they could actually do it right. uh, because you still have like the quarterback Savant uh, on the other side with Andy Reid and uh, Eric Bienmi pulling the strings. Like I, I still would pick the Chiefs in that matchup, but I think the Rams probably have the best chance. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like the Chiefs would still be the favorite. And I would still bet on the Chiefs right. if, if, if I could, wink, wink. Uh, <laughs> but 
The one thing I'd say about the linebackers is I do think having Ramsey being able to take out Tyree Kill, and he's not going to take him out, but he's going to like slow him down. He sh- he did it in Jacksonville when they played the Chiefs a couple years ago right. with no safety help, but that would allow them to maybe bracket Travis Kelsey, which I think is something you probably have to do with those linebackers. Uh, at one point, Stephen, we thought that the Buccaneers might end up being the team to meet the Chiefs in Tampa at the Super Bowl uh, earlier in the season. But your second take dump today is that the Bucks, coming off a 26 to 14 win over the Vikings, are probably not even a top five team in the NFC. Uh, maybe, maybe the number five team. Uh, what has gone wrong there? Uh, besides everything, <laughs> but uh, what, digging in on their recent struggles and why you're so down on them, what, what do you see? I, I feel like we've talked about the offensive concerns like just ad nauseum over the last month or two, but the defense has really fallen off. And I don't know if anyone's noticed, but like since week nine over the second half of the season, they've been a bottom 10 defense. And I think it's just that offenses have learned how to attack them. And we've talked about this earlier in the season that like there's clear ways to attack them and they weren't being attacked that way. But now you're seeing more play action on early downs and teams are taking advantage of them when they're in base defense. Cause they still play like a lot of like of the classic three, four fronts, And like the corners are young and good, but they're vulnerable to certain matchups. And like Carlton Davis has had a problem with penalties this year. So I I just don't know if that defense is as stout as we expected it to be all year. And maybe losing Vita Vea has hurt them, but it's not the same. And with the offense kind of just sputtering and being way too reliant on big plays, I just don't see how you could argue this team has a chance at beating any of the top teams in the NFC. And I'll say this about the game yesterday. They won, and I think they ended up winning by like nine points. So it looked comfortable. But this was like the inverse of that Chiefs-Dolphins game where like everything went wrong for the Vikings. They were clearly the better team of those two on Sunday. But Mm -hmm. Dan Bailey missed three field goals, an extra point. Right. Had a bunch of fluky penalty calls against them at the end of the half that led to I think like ten points for the Bucks. It was you play that game ten times, and I think the Vikings win eight out of ten. Yeah, and Brady, uh, you you post a tweet in here from Eric Eager of uh, PFF pointing out that Kirk Cousins was pressured 24 times. Tom Brady was pressured three whole times in an entire football game, which, you know, and we know, I mean, I, I think that was like three or four years ago now that you wrote the piece pointing out that Brady just, uh, he was not nearly as comfortable standing in. You know, that was something that early in his career, he stood in the pocket and made plays and took hits uh, and, and that at some point, he was became not as liable to do that, and it really hurt his productivity. Uh, and you know, this is just more proof that he's fine if everything goes right, and he doesn't need to elevate the players around him. But he needs it to go really, really well for him to play well, and that's just not likely to happen in the playoffs. Um, let's uh, let's look at the other team that we thought <laughs> that had the, the inside track on the number one seed and the uh, home field through the playoffs, the bye and, and home field. Well, that was the Saints until Taysom Hill happened yesterday against the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, the Eagles end up winning this game. And Stephen, you're basically writing that, uh, you know, they got away with the Taysom Hill ex- experiment the first three games because uh, two of them were against the Falcons. The other was against the Broncos. 
that literally did not have a quarterback uh, and now faced with even a slight pushback from a terrible NFC East team starting a rookie quarterback. Uh, Hill was just not able to get this done. Um, Charles, let me ask you, I mean, how much uh, like how how are we going to look at this in in future years as we look back at Sean Payton, clearly one of the smarter coaches of his generation uh but it sure seems like he's cost his team by insisting on going with hill in this situation rather than Jameis winston who is clearly more built to take advantage of all the flaws that the eagles defense has yeah i mean personally i would be annoyed as hell because the falcons lost to him twice in the span of three weeks and like you just watch it and you and, you know, like even against the Eagles, the, the final numbers for Taysom Hill, they, they look pretty good. 28 for 38, 291 yards, two touchdowns to pick. Uh, like if you're just looking at it like that, he, he looks all right. But when you actually watch him play, it's it's just not a very clean style of football. Uh, right. And, you know, it, it just takes a lot for these plays to go right, where, you know, you're kind of waiting and holding the ball, waiting for Michael Thomas to get open. Uh, you need guys to make things happen after the catch. It, it just it just doesn't seem like a very sustainable way uh, to play football. And, I mean, you know, he's got all the physical talent in the world, but that doesn't mean that he's a great quarterback. And I think that when we look back on this, it – I don't know if we're going to look at it more than just like a funny little experiment. And, you know, it, even though the process might be flawed, you still get the results of going at least three and one uh, in this in this little uh, Taysom Hill stretch and maybe even uh, four and one if they can win next week. I think against the uh, 49ers. No, they're playing the Chiefs. It is oh, not happening. Oh, never mind. Uh, I read <laughs> I read the internet wrong. That's on me. Uh, they're playing Chiefs, so that's not happening. But, uh, you know, James probably gives you a better chance against a team like the Eagles, who like someone who can like legitimately throw it downfield and you're not kind of holding your – well, I mean, you are holding your breath because uh, it's Jameis Winston. But, you know, you have a chance to at least like hit these guys to stride and make legitimate big plays down the field. Uh it, it it's just it's just so wonky. Like you know, when you watch it, like this is not a sustainable way to play football for a long stretch of time. And like you're banking on if if if, if Drew Brees does retire for the season, we know Taysom Hill is still going to be under contract next year. It's like you're banking on this guy taking extreme steps as a functional passer for this thing to work out. So you know, I think right now it's like an incomplete grade, but. Uh, we all know that there's a very clear ceiling on this, and I think it's not a ceiling that's good enough to get this team um, a serious playoff run. If if Drew Brees like comes back, or if he's like a diminished version of himself, like at least if you play Jameis, you have the opportunity to get those high variance passing plays where he can come out, and you can torch you for 380 yards and four touchdowns, but you might get the 120 yards for interception game too. <laughs> <laughs> I think the one thing that benefits Taysom Hill is like the the numbers that paint him in a bad picture are like not showing up on your traditional stat line, and that's sacks. Because when you when you go through a quarterback stat line, you're not like he went thirty of uh, thirty five for four hundred yards and five sacks. But Taysom Hill takes a ridiculous numbers a number of sacks, and he's on pace to set the Saints record for fumbles in a season. Like he's fumbling the ball a lot, and that's something else we don't talk about when we talk about a quarterback stat line 
and he fumbled again yesterday. He he f- has fumbled at like every game he's played so far. So those are two issues. And like when you're arguing against starting Jameis Winston, the argument starts and ends with turnovers. And if Taysom Hill is turning the ball over at the same rate that Jameis would, then what's like what are we doing here? Yeah, and he's not. I mean, as you point out in your story, he's not actually uh, his his runs are not really doing as much as it might seem uh, you know he's not at that Lamar Jackson level uh, I forget what the number was but you said it was like this negative 0.5 EPA per per rush uh, from Hill so he's like he's better than a lot of quarterbacks at using his legs but he's not truly a difference maker uh, at that level so uh, I, I I mean I know that we've got we've been talking about We've been talking admiringly about uh, Jameis for the entirety of the counter's existence, but <laughs> I just think it does not make a whole lot of sense. It, like we didn't, we didn't like the move when it happened. Uh, we sort of said, like, okay, I guess uh, whatever. If you really want to see what you have and try to figure out, that's fine. But at this point, a guy like Sean Payton should have been able to realize what he has and what he doesn't and, and moved on. And also, I just don't think they had the margin for error with the Packers right. right behind them in the standings and how important that home field advantage is for Drew Brees. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. Him playing in Lambeau, which it sure looks like we're going to see now, will be very interesting. Um, let's talk your final your final take. The uh, another quarterback evaluation here. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa uh, looked really great. I mean, against Chiefs, he. I mean, the, you know, we we've written about the Chiefs' defense before. They do a lot of different things. They make it very challenging for a quarterback, a young quarterback especially. And he figured out a lot of it. I mean, he was he was adapting to what he saw. He was making all sorts of throws. You posted his next gen stats uh, passing chart here, and we were all talking about it. Yes, like this. That's a real passing chart, man. Like this is not Ben Roethlisberger, Drew Brees, Tom Brady keeping it easy type passing chart. This is a quarterback who was asked to do a lot of different things and found ways to do most of them. Uh, so, what do you guys think about Tua now that we've you know we've had a little bit of a sample size? He came in, he got hurt, he came back. Uh, what do you think about his future? I mean, I'm I'm excited for him. Uh, I I think it's good that especially in a game against the Chiefs, like where you're going to have to throw the ball to keep up with them. And like we saw, like they got into a hole, and and Tua kind of had to throw his way back into it. I mean, it, it it's good that they're just that they feel comfortable at least just throwing everything on his plate and kind of making him work for uh, these yards. Because I I think if there's if there's two concerns that I have about to uh, as at least just for the rest of the season pertains, you know, to me, it kind of seems like the defenses are figuring out their play action game a little bit. Like they have so many bootlegs to the left, uh, uh, you know, like you, you, you not, not that it's not a fruitful play for them at all, but it just seems like it's getting a little bit harder for them to pull off because it's such a, a big piece of their passing game. And two is like sometimes on some of these deeper passes, the ball dies on on him a little mm-hmm. bit, which, uh, you know, as we know, like when you're in the NFL and those passes aren't being zipped down to the sideline, sometimes you can open yourself up to big interceptions or pick six and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, but for the most part, like I think two was kind of figured out how to play within his own limitations, which I think is a pretty 
important thing for a young quarterback to figure out. Like, it's not like Daniel Jones as a rookie when he's just out here throwing the ball down the field every single play. It was like, hell, hold on, Bubba. You don't got the arm strength to, to do that on every single play. And it's kind of like you, you see Tua maybe where the arm strength isn't where it needs to be. You kind of get, like, the anticipation and the timing and the accuracy uh, down the field. So I think even that he's kind of figuring out how to, to work around some of his own uh, limitations, which is nice. I, I mean, I think the future is really bright for him. Uh, if you just look at the passing chart uh, from the game, I mean, he's throwing literally all over the field to every level of the field. Uh, you throw through 48 times. I mean, you know, at the end of the game, they had, it was a, a, a small chance, but like they had a tiny chance to kind of get back in that game at the end of it. But uh, I, I think if you're a Dolphins fan, you're excited by what you're seeing. And I think if you're just a fan of the NFL in general, like it's good to have young quarterbacks play well. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited for Tua. I'm excited for the Dolphins. I kind of hope that they're able to uh, shake off that game against Kansas City and make their way into the playoffs because I, I just think that that's a really fun storyline to follow right now. Yeah, and, and he can like I do have concerns about the arm thing too, but just based on watching him now and compared to where he was at Alabama, it seems like there is a little bit more zip on his passes. So maybe that's a sign that this is something he can potentially improve if he continues to work on his mechanics. I don't like I'm not a mechanics expert. I don't know what the solution is, but maybe it's something he can improve. We've seen it happen before. Like Tom Brady improved his arm strength late in his career, or maybe just throwing with your natural hand would help. That's, how, that's <laughs> but uh, probably sailed at this point. But yeah, my one of my big concerns before the draft was was he too conservative? Was he going to be like a Teddy Bridgewater type or Alex Smith type who throws underneath and just takes checkdowns too much? And like we haven't seen that at all during his rookie season. And that's when you would expect to see it from an NFL quarterback. We would expect to see a rookie quarterback be more timid, but he's throwing into tight windows downfield like it's nothing, and that's the most encouraging sign for me. And his accuracy has transferred over from college football. Yeah, I think going back and thinking about like how you evaluate Tua coming out of Alabama, it's like you're playing with the Avengers every week, so you don't have to do too much. I mean, you got Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, uh, Devontae Smith, who might just straight up be the best player in college football uh, this season. Plus, offensive line that featured another first-round pick with Jedrick Willis and Najee Harris in the backfield. I mean, Come on, like you don't really got to do too much. I think it's showing. I think I think it's good that he's showing that he can be a playmaker when the Dolphins need him to be. And now they got two extra first round picks to play around with in next year's draft. So who knows? Like maybe that could even be if they, if they want to spend them both on offense. Like that could be a unit that gets really fun really fast because I don't think anyone's going to be hiring Chan Gailey to be uh, their head coach <laughs> in the NFL anytime soon. So uh, you kind of get that continuity in the offensive staff too, which is going to be nice. Yeah. Yeah. The Dolphins will certainly be up there. I'm, I, I'm sure that we will rank uh, franchises sort of based on their outlook for the future. That's something we often do right after the Super Bowl. And it sure feels like the Dolphins with everything Brian Flores has shown as a coach and what Tua is showing that they will be near the top of that list uh let's let's break down the playoff picture really quickly before we dig into some more games just set sort of the context of the league uh in the afc the chiefs and steelers have clinched uh, playoff spots the chiefs now are what is the number 95 uh this is according to 538 they are 95 percent favorite to 
finish first and have that first round by and home field advantage. Uh, so, you know, and that was really, as we were talking about the chiefs in recent weeks, that was sort of like the one caveat, right? It's like, well, right now they're, they're not in position because the Steelers are still undefeated and uh, because they don't have the tiebreaker that they may have to go on the road. So who knows that that could throw a wrench into things. That's no longer the case. The chiefs have a clear path to being at home uh, and, sure seems like that will make them even more unbeatable uh, <laughs> than what they are. Uh, after the Steelers, who sit in the number two spot, it's the Bills, who are 10-3 and three and seem almost certain to win the East. The Titans sit at number four, nine and four. Browns are nine and three. They play tonight against the Ravens in a key game that will decide sort of how that shakes shakes out in the AFC North. The Colts are nine and four at, and they sit at six and the Dolphins remain in that number seven spot, despite the loss uh, with the Ravens, really the main team chasing uh, the Raiders lost again are at seven and six. They lost pretty convincingly to the Colts. Uh, So the Ravens, Still looking to jump up over in the NFC uh, Packers, as we said, have now uh, moved into having that inside track. I think they're 59 percent, according to 538, a 59 percent chance of winning the NFC and getting that first round by uh, after that. The Saints have also clinched a spot. The Rams are at three. Uh, the Washington football team is in that number four hole right now by virtue of leading the NFC East with the six and seven record. The Seahawks are at five, nine and four. The Bucks eight and five at six. And the Arizona Cardinals, the big win, they jumped up over the Vikings into that final wild card spot. Uh, so that's sort of where things stand now. Do you guys see any dramatic changes in this order or uh, how, how much do you think uh, we'll see over these last couple weeks change or or are we looking at basically what you think will have in the end i think the afc like this is going to be what the playoff field looks like i don't see anything really changing the only thing i would see changing is baltimore getting back into the playoffs which i expect to happen and i think after tonight's game i think we're going to have new conversations about baltimore and their potential i really think this is a game they're going to dominate yeah interesting yeah, I, I think that's the only thing. Like Baltimore, like Baltimore and Miami, kind of flip flopping for that seventh spot is, I think, what, what we're gonna have as of the season closes. But uh, you know, for the most part, I feel like these playoff teams in the NFC and the AFC are, are gonna be set for the most part. And I'm, I'm kind of intrigued with this uh, seven team playoff. I, I wasn't a fan of it at first, but just kind of looking at the potential matchups we could get, it, it's kind of fun. I mean. You could have Baltimore or Miami playing Pittsburgh in the first round, uh, which I think either of those are enticing matchups. And then you could get uh, Arizona showing New Orleans what a real quarterback looks like uh, <laughs> in the first round. But, you know, like the more you kind of think about this in your head, like it, it's I think I think the 17 playoff is going to be kind of fun. Like you have more stakes added to it with, with no. Uh, with only one team getting a buy, and I mean, oh my god! Like if Kansas City is the only team getting a buy in the AFC, like, <laughs> like what are we even doing here? <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, th- I think the way that it, it's stacked up right now is probably how how it's going to end. The only thing I think might happen, and it probably won't, just based on schedules, is maybe the Rams catch the Saints for the second seed because the the Rams do play the Jets next week, and the the Chiefs play the Saints, right. so they'll be tied with. 
on record next week. But I think that Saints have the tiebreaker. I'm looking at ESPN's playoff machine, and it appears that's the case. Like, even if those results happen, the Saints would be in second. But they do play the Vikings, who are not a good team, but kind of feisty. And I think they could upset the Saints if, say, Drew Brees comes back and looks a little rusty. I would not be surprised if the Vikings somehow pull that game out. And if that's the case, and you have the Saints, who I think would drop to the third seed and have to play the Bucks in the first round, like that's a game that we thought could be NFC title game, a couple, like a month ago. So I agree with Chuck that like the seven. I was not a fan of the seven team playoff field, but I like it now. It's going to make the wild card weekend a lot more entertaining. We're not going to have to deal with like the Texans Raiders type of game we used to have to deal with. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's let's dig in a little bit more on some of the games from this week. But uh, I want to start with uh, sort of through the lens of the I, I guess it's the second tier in the AFC. It feels like the Chiefs are on like their own tier. And then there are several tiers below that. And then there are some real teams in there uh, that, you know, it's just so far. Uh, so, so much separation. But I still want to sort of try to tease out who we think. If if there were a team that would give the Chiefs some problem in the AFC, or or you know which teams might be most interesting to look at, uh, and obviously we talked a lot about the Steelers already, and you know Ben Roethlisberger's arm means that they are probably not making that jump. How about the uh, Colts? Who, like I said, they they beat the Raiders forty four to twenty seven. Uh, you know they've sort of turned the offense over. Uh, we we covered this that they needed to to sort of let Philip Rivers throw the ball more and, and focus on throwing earlier. But they have responded to that by giving the ball to Jonathan Taylor a lot. He's really become their featured back. He went uh, 20 carries for 150 yards against the Raiders. Uh, they've sort of really doubled down on that approach. Um, how serious are the Colts as a contender? And then a team that is similar, the Titans, uh, another team that, you know, really riding Derrick Henry, 26 carries for 215 yards. They played the Jaguars. So, uh, you know, I don't think any of us are going to take anything from that uh, really. But where are these two teams in your minds uh, as we sort of get toward the playoff? Any of them have, is there any chance that this, we know the Chiefs are, are bad at stopping the run. Could it be problematic? No. <laughs> right. No, 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 Gosh, no, no. Darn it. Uh, I mean, but the thing with the Colts is like they played one of the worst defenses in the NFL themselves with the Raiders. I mean, Jonathan Taylor has done like basically nothing all year, and he comes out looking like the second coming of Adrian Peterson versus that team. Uh, and you know, the, the Titans—they're good. I mean, I think the Titans might have a better chance than the Colts just because I—I I, I think I trust the Titans. Like, if you have to get into a shootout. With the Chiefs, I, I think I was just trying to trust what they got cooking uh, on offense a little bit more. I mean, their run game has been more consistent this year with Derrick Henry. Uh, got A.J. Brown, who is like quickly ascending to be one of the best receivers in the NFL. That just feels like a little bit more stable matchup in terms of personnel uh, for the Chiefs. But, I mean, come on. they Neither of these teams has Patrick Mahomes, so no. They also, like the Colts play – statistically they have a good defense but they play the type of defense that i just feel like patrick mahomes would just tear up and we've seen this happen before like two years ago when they played in the playoffs the saints defense was had a little hype around them and then he just just decimated them and i don't see anything that's changed since then i think xavier rhodes might have got hurt 
yesterday. And the fact that that's a storyline for the Colts that Xavier Rhodes, who like stopped trying two years ago after he signed that big deal is a big deal for them is like all you need to know. I'm still of the opinion that the Ravens have the best chance at beating the chiefs. I still think that's the case. They have the best defense in the, in the division or in the conference outside of Pittsburgh, probably, but although Pittsburgh's defense is kind of banged up now and Lamar could still, you know, black out and have one of those games where he throws for 300 yards and runs for 150. I think that's really the only chance that anybody has. We've seen the Ravens kind of like, I know the game this year got ugly, but the two previous matchups, the Ravens had a chance in both those games. They went to like they went to overtime two years ago in 2018 and needed and the Chiefs needed like a crazy fourth down play by Mahomes to even force overtime. So I don't think the Ravens are that bad of a matchup for the Chiefs, like at least as much as the public makes it out to be. I actually think they would have a decent shot. Yeah, like if, if they can just get that ground game going, like they they can do it. It's just you, you also kind of have a little bit of fatigue with this because we've already seen the the Ravens fail three times right. now in three yeah. seasons with uh, trying to get this thing off the ground and beat the Chiefs. But uh, you know, like the Chiefs, I mean, the Ravens have the defense to, to slow them down a little bit. Like they probably have the best defense in the AFC in terms of being geared towards stopping the Chiefs, but. Man, it's just it. You know, it's easier said than done. And like we saw yesterday, uh, the Chiefs can shoot themselves in the foot a million times, and it doesn't. <laughs> I don't know about <laughs> the, the one team that maybe has a better chance is the Bills, but I I don't know. I don't trust Josh Allen against a Steve Spagnuolo defense. We saw that earlier in the year. Allen played horrible against the Chiefs, and the Chiefs won that pretty easily, even though the offense was kind of not playing to its potential at that time. So. Right. It's, I mean, it's it's the Chiefs. We've been saying it all. The, it's just the Chiefs. <laughs> that makes for a boring show, though. Like yeah, I agree, but we're already declaring. We're I'm, I'm just trying though. to. Should we just lie? Like, oh yeah, I, I think the Browns have a chance against the Chiefs. Baker yes. Mayfield. Yeah. Do you do you not watch TV? Do you not watch <laughs> like all these broadcasts? Like they they're all hyping these teams to try to make it seem like it still matters. Um, let's uh, let's talk about Jalen Hurts. We talked a little bit about Taysom Hill uh, losing the game against the Eagles, but Jalen Hurts became uh, what what is he the. Jordan Love was the other QB taking the, taking the first round. He's obviously not going to play this year. So Hertz becomes what the fourth uh, rookie QB to start yeah. this year. Um, fourth, and, no, actually fifth because we forgot Jake Lutton, the guy. Oh my god, <laughs> I, I am so sorry, Jake. Uh, wait, Ben Denucci also started, didn't he? Oh yeah, he did. God, wow. I am. Oh, I, is he a rookie? I, I had no idea. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> yes, sure he, he was. A he was the seventh round uh, pick from. From out of James Madison, um, so yeah, my bad, my bad, fellas. Uh, but the, the the fourth legitimate um, potential future quarterback, Jalen Hurts. Uh, I, I don't know what to make out of uh, his first game. I mean, I think the Eagles' offense was much more interesting. You know, there was a stat going around a lot among Eagles fans after the game that Doug Peterson is now something like ten and two when. Carson Wentz is not 11 and two, 11 and two. Uh, so, he, he, you know, it just seems like, I mean, that probably doesn't really mean anything, but, but the offense was way more interesting with, with Hertz in, uh, you know, he's obviously a more dynamic player and he opened up a lot of things in the run game. What did you guys make of Hertz's debut as a starter? 
I thought it was just like more functional, the offense. Like it looked like an actual NFL offense. And I mean, I feel good about uh, my take midweek where I thought that he would improve the run game and keep them out of third and long. I think that happened. And my other take that as opposed to Wentz, who can move, but he'd rather like spin out of the pocket and try to throw the ball downfield than just take off and take advantage of the space the defense gives you. And we saw that with Jalen Hurts. Like he was every time he was taken off to scramble, it was a first down. It was he was very assertive and decisive, and I think it really boosted the offense. Yeah, I mean, to me, one of the big takeaways that was like, man, like Carson Wentz's body is like broken uh, (laughs) because. Uh, it's not like Jalen Hurts was out here slicing and dicing him up as a passer, but you know he he can at least give you that run element where you have to stay on your toes because you know the 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 Saints defense is pretty good and uh, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure the Eagles ran for over 200 yards yesterday and, and Jalen Hurts obviously has a big role in that where you, you especially when you when you don't fear the quarterback. Uh, being like a, a, a precision throwing threat, you at least have to account for him making plays on the ground, which is kind of exactly what happened. And with Carson Wentz, like maybe at one point you were afraid of him running the ball a little bit, but that fear doesn't really exist right now. So, you know, like, like Steven said, it, it looked like an NFL offense. It looked like a functional group. It looked like, uh, you know, 11 professional players playing together. I mean, hell, even Alshon Jeffrey scored a touchdown yesterday. <laughs> I wasn't even sure if that was possible anymore. So, uh, you know, it, it's fun. Like, when, when, like, especially if you're a fan of college football and you, you see all these teams every single Saturday where you're, they're making you play 11 on 11 football. And, and you know, right. that's kind of what the Saints were doing uh, with Taysom Hill. But I think Jalen Hurts is uh, a much more effective runner, not just maybe even looking at the numbers, but in terms of, like the style of running, like we talked about last week a little bit, like it, it, he, he can run like an NFL running back and not just in terms of getting these yards on the ground, but the way he sets blockers up, the way he's able to make cuts and make moves. It's, it's a very, you know, precise style of running, which I think lends itself to being a legitimate running threat uh, while the passing game is still growing for him. So, you know, I, I think that this was a good first step for him. Uh, I doesn't mean anything about what's going to happen next year with Wentz or long-term, but uh, you know, getting back to looking like an actual football team was huge for this Eagles team. I mean, they averaged 6.3 yards per play this year. I'm not sure what their season average is, but I'm sure it's a lot lower than 6.3. So uh, that that was a good first step for Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. I saw the saddest tweet yesterday, and I think the tweet was actually from midweek, but it resurfaced on Sunday, and that was the Eagles had Carson Wentz playing the role of Taysom Hill in practice. Which is just so depressing, and it's like a great a great pick to play Taysom Hill. Yeah. <laughs> Carson. All right, one more game I want to talk about before we preview uh, the Monday Night Football game, and that is the Cardinals beating the Giants twenty six to seven. And I really want to double back on this these two teams because we've talked about them at length. The Cardinals, the offense, sort of how it was not working, how Cliff Kingsbury was doing things to hold it back by not really putting it in Kyler Murray's hands. It seems like that happened a little bit more this week. He was 24-35 for 244 yards. I mean, part of that's just that the Giants' defense is questionable. Um, But we – and that's how we had been discussing the Giants. You know, there was sort of a a narrative forming that, like, the Giants were – 
exciting and interesting and had a bright future and that this was some fun football story for the year. Uh, but we learned again yesterday that they're just a bad football team probably headed in the wrong direction. So, Stephen, I want to ask you about what you thought of the Cardinals offense, whether some of those problems are uh, maybe resolving themselves. And then, Charles, I want to know what you think the Giants are going to do with Daniel Jones. Well, I think you're kind of being harsh on the Giants defense. I would actually put this game on the offense because I thought I saw a stat where their first three drives started within the Giants 40 yard line. So the the defense was kind of put in a tough spot. And I think that extends to the Cardinals offense thing. Like, I don't know if the offense was much better. They were just handed the ball by Daniel Jones. So it made things look a lot better. What are you going to do with Daniel Jones, Charles? What's- uh, I mean, I, I would expect him to be back in uh, New York next year. But I mean, this was just a peak Daniel Jones games where it just all falls apart. Like six sacks. Hassan Reddick finishing him with five sacks. <laughs> five sacks. Like, wh- what's going on here? Uh, and Dale Jones, he fumbled the ball three times. Uh, only, only lost it once. Yeah, he only lost it once, which is a pretty big improvement on his part. But, you know, like like Steven said, like when you're getting sacked that much, not only are you getting sacked six times, you lost 52 yards on those sacks. Uh, Good Lord. You're, you're not generating any big plays through the air. Uh, you know, he had 127 passing yards and 39 of them came on one pass to Golden Tate. Like, other than that, you, you're just kind of dinking and dunking down the field throughout the whole game. And it's just not a sustainable way to to play offense in the NFL. But I think next year he's probably going to be back because that's how these things tend to work. I mean, if, if they're able to find a way to get into the playoffs and the Washington football team kind of stumbles down the stretch, then – they're going to be in the playoffs and that's just like almost a guaranteed next year for Daniel Jones, whether he should be or he should not be. So uh, it it's, it's bleak right now because I think that most Giants fans know that this isn't good enough, but the NFL is also such like a steadfast stay in your lane league that Daniel Jones might not get any legit competition, even though, you know, you can argue that, Maybe even Colt McCoy could give him a good push if they actually, uh, if they actually gave him the reins. So, I, I mean, if I was running the Giants, I would be doing everything I could to find a quarterback upgrade because I think that you actually got a good thing going with Joe Judge and Patrick Graham. But uh, Daniel Jones, it's just he takes too many negative plays and he's not going to create enough on his own to be like a legit viable quarterback in the playoffs. I think at the very least, you got to replace Jason Garrett. Yeah. And not not that Jason Garrett has been totally awful this year and I he, I think he probably has. I just haven't watched the Giants enough to say. But I just think that's the worst fit for Daniel Jones because of his weaknesses. You're you're running a system that relies on deeper dropbacks and ask the quarterback to hold the ball a little bit and like asking Daniel Jones to hold the ball a little bit longer is just a recipe for disaster. I'd like to see him get in one of these you know, Shanahan, Kubiak style offenses where he doesn't even have to think, just do the play action fake, drop back, read, make one read and throw the ball. Cause I do think he has the ability to make some throws and attack the intermediate parts of the field. Like I, he doesn't have great arm strength, but I do think he's, he does a decent job of overcoming that limitation and throwing the ball downfield. But if he has to think in the pocket, it's just, it, we get the type of games we saw on Sunday and you see guys like Hassan Reddick get five sacks and him fumble three times. Yeah. I mean, since week nine, just in terms of EPA 
uh, per play. The Giants are 22nd in offense, uh, and it sucks because I think if, and like if you flip that for their defense, they probably have like a top five or six defense in that time span. So, you know, Patrick Graham is doing his thing. Uh, he's kind of got this misfit group of toys to to work together because I, I think when you look at the Giants' defense, at least coming into the season, it's like, man, like where's this edge rush going to come from? Is Blake Martinez actually a good fit uh, in this defense? You know, you got some pieces in the secondary, but nothing really stands out, and they've kind of put together a pretty good year for themselves. But uh, the offense is just stuck in quicksand. And, you know, like, like Stephen said, you got to start off with, probably bringing someone in to replace Jason Garrett. And then you just have to add some legitimate quarterback competition next year. I don't know whether it's in the draft or via free agency, but if Joe judge is going to be this guy who preaches week to week all throughout the season, all throughout the off season, that competition is the most important thing. And actually, you know, challenging your players right. with guys who can, who can give him a run for his money. Then if you're going to stay too true to that word, you got to bring in someone to push Daniel Jones because having him come into the 2021 season, like basically unimpeded without uh, any backup that can keep the seat hot is a recipe for disaster. It's the, it's like the Jaguars and Blake Bortles. They like refuse to bring in backup competition. Like Chad Henney was his best backup. <laughs> and he still lost the job to Chad Henney one preseason and earned it back. <laughs> Chad Henney is Chad Henney. But yeah, like I totally agree with him. And wasn't that like a big storyline in the offseason? Like Joe Judge was refusing to name Daniel Jones the starter. Yeah, that, that was that was some hard old football guy crap. Because <laughs> I, I, I remember I was at the combine and he was going on. He's like, you know, we don't have any starters on our team. I like I won't name Daniel Jones the starter. And, and then someone was like, well, how about Saquon Barkley? And he kind of had this moment like, ah, you got me. Like, <laughs> like you know, like there's there's a, there's a that was. To me, that wasn't anything but him. Joe just trying to put like his his culture onto the team. But I, I think he's very much. If he says it next offseason, I think he might be a little bit more serious about it. Yeah, I, I just I just think like maybe if you're gonna say it, like at least maybe act right. on it. Just like, do just it. Act right. on yeah. it. Why yeah, not like, just do it? Like like we all get it if you're not gonna bring in like a guy to push Saquon Barkley because that's hard to do. But Daniel Jones, come on. He's like a bottom five starter this year. All right. Let's talk Monday night football Ravens uh, in Cleveland against the Browns. Baltimore is actually giving with three points on this. They're, they're favored, uh, which I know Steven, you'll agree with, but you earlier in the show said that you thought this would be, I can't remember what word you used, but, but that the Ravens would be really impressive tonight and, and might win this one easily. What's, what's behind your thinking? Just because they're going to be able to make Baker Mayfield actually play quarterback, like he's not going to be able to just do play action passes all day and throw to open receivers. They're going to get in the Browns receivers' faces and pressure Baker Mayfield. And we know what happens when defenses are able to do that to him. We saw it in week one. That did not look like a competitive football game in week one. It was like Alabama playing an FCS school. So I expect to see more of the same. I don't think the Browns have gotten any better in that regard since that game. Yeah, I, this I, I agree with Steve. I mean, this just seems like a game where the Browns kind of come back to earth a little bit uh, because we, we we see with the Steelers and the Ravens like that style of defense where if you're just going to come after Baker Mayfield and make him think and make him play quarterback and make him you know really make instinct decisions on the fly. That's not the type of quarterback that he is. Like it's not going to be versus the Titans where he's just 
<laughs> throwing guys wide open and there's no difficult plays for him to make throughout the whole game. You know, the Ravens are going to have to make him earn it and they're going to make him play to his talent level, which, you know, hasn't been very convincing up to this point. Like, I, I think everyone who said last week, you know, not that there were a whole lot of people saying that, but there are people last week saying, oh, you know, you got to put Baker Mayfield in the MVP conversation because the Browns are nine and three and he just had through for a million yards when he was basically throwing on air. Uh, yeah, I think we're going to come back down to earth a little bit this year. I mean, I, I kind of think the the Ravens are going to win this game. I think if there is a, a area of concerns for Baltimore, it's like if we, can, if we can just keep Nick Chubb from not looking like Jim Brown and continue his quest of like being the most physically dominant running back that I think we've seen in like quite some time, uh, then I don't really see why the Ravens can't, you know, I, pull away and kind of win this game. I think Nick Chubb runs like side to side faster than I can run in a straight line. <laughs> like his hips are like dislocated from the top of his body. It's like amazing watching him run. Yeah. I mean, you got older Browns fans who say like, this looks like how Jim Brown used to run. Uh, and I mean, I, I can't attest to that, but I, I, I can't think of someone where when the ball is in his hands, he has no flaws as a, as a running back, which is just it's, – it's a pretty remarkable thing to say about someone, and hopefully he can stay healthy because I, I can't think of any running back that I enjoy watching with Nick Chubb. All right, so now I know, Steven, you're going to try to track down some old Browns, all 22. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> good pair. Uh, what, what do we have coming this week? I, I, I think we're going to have the debut of the uh, Forverts column tomorrow, right? We're, we're yeah. hoping to uh, – to have that that'll be charles featured uh tuesday piece uh then i think we're working on an exciting look at uh basically every franchise in the league and what what the the main piece they need moving forward is uh so we're sort of spinning it forward to future years and steven what are you going to dig into this week uh you kind of caught me off guard. I, got, I don't know. I'm still thinking about it. Well, we're, we're teaming up on the uh, the missing pieces thing. So. Yeah, so you got that going. That's, uh, that's, that's where your mind was. You're just not thinking. I was going to have a passionate defense of Cam Newton, his game on on like Thursday, it. because. but I'm just like not motivated to do it because I'm going to do it, and then Pats fans are just going to be like, nah, he's not Brady. He sucks. But like I watched the film of that. Ram- all the more reason to fight. That's all the more reason to fight, Steve. I'm tired of fighting Patriots fans. But I watched the film of that Rams game, and like legitimately, I, I know I'm biased with Cam Newton. Like Cam Newton's the only reason that I, I'm a football writer right now. The fact that he joined the Panthers when he did. But I legitimately think he played a near perfect first half, and it was that uh, like that's how bad things were around him. There's no there. He didn't leave any plays on the field. I'll say that, but I'm not going to write that because I'm I'm not dealing with the blowback. <laughs> uh, Charles, why don't you close out the show? What, what's a what's a closing thought as we round toward week 15? Uh, you know, everything feels kind of pointless because the Chiefs are so much better. Than <laughs> but you know, there are still some interesting storylines to follow, and I am personally hoping that we get a little bit of Lamar Jackson resurgence uh, the closest season because. I think people have been a little bit harsh on him and the Browns game is a good place for him to get back on track because, you know, he he played well against uh, the Cowboys and uh, the talent is still there, but everything else is kind of falling apart around him. He also had COVID. Like he had like a, a, like a deadly disease and people were just like, "Eh, is he good? Like that's what they did with Cam. And it was, I I just love that Lamar had COVID and he came out and he just dominated 
the Cowboys <laughs> on the ground. So hopefully we can get that back because I think that this league is just a tremendously better place when he's playing well. And he torched the Browns week one. I know that that was uh, a much healthier Ravens team, but you know he's he still got that in him. That was this. Yeah, I hope I hope Lamar is good because I'm tired of racists from Baltimore County being like, "See, I told you, Lamar Jackson was not good." So that's <laughs> that's where I'm at with that. Uh, so no drama left. The Chiefs are great, but at least we can follow your PS5 uh, quest. Yep. Uh, Fingers we'll crossed for tomorrow. Tape. We'll get an update on that on our next show, which should drop Thursday afternoon. Uh, thanks for joining us here at the counter. Take care. We'll talk to you next time. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports.